Welcome everyone to another exciting episode of the Product Pioneers podcast, this time with episode 4, season 2, and our guest, Lorena Marta-Garcia. She was one of the first product managers at Infarm, which is now the biggest vertical farming company in the world. As some of you can tell, I am super stoked about this episode, because this is my domain of passion. I'm also the co-founder of an indoor farming startup. We build indoor farms for offices. And so learning more about the scale-up phase of an indoor farming or hardware startup is pure gold for me. And I hope for you, the listeners, as well. Until a month ago of recording this episode, Lorena worked at Infarm as an internal product manager. She built the software infrastructure that took Infarm from a single warehouse with no software to a global corporation in 10 countries in less than three years. Imagine that. Using a mix of off-the-rack and custom-built software, she implemented the processes and tools to power production, operation, sales and the inventory. In other words, she built software and mobile apps for the internal users, the employees at Infarm. She led a team of offshore developers, consultants and in-house PMs and helped Infarm become the world's largest vertical farming company with a growth of over 1000% during her tenancy. So there you have it. Please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Lorena Marta Garcia. Lorena, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you here today. Less excited uh, about being here. So thank you for the invite. All right. So I think it's so I'm I'm super happy uh, to have you here today because it's quite funny how we met. Um, because three years ago, I actually applied at Infarm. You want to tell us a bit more what Infarm is? Yes, Infarm is a very innovative um, startup company in Berlin, and they are taking indoor vertical farming to the next 10 levels. They are developing incredible hardware. They're doing a lot of science things behind the whole science of growing food and they're bringing internet and sensors and artificial intelligence in the game so they are really trying to revolutionize the way we produce and supply food especially to big cities um, while minimizing the environmental impact of that so it's super amazing really uh, what Infarm does that's awesome because i'm not sure if you know but after we talked, um, we actually started our own indoor farming company, like three students, uh, including oh, wow. me. Wow. Yeah. And how is it so going? It, we're developing. Uh, yeah. Like We have one farm. We had one farm at, our, at university. Um, and now, like, we're building something for offices. Okay. And, but the funny thing for our listeners, maybe, so I applied it in farm and just wanted to be a working student. And Lorena was the person that, like, she interviewed me in the end after all these uh, contacts. And I would have become your second hand. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, by the by the time by the time you applied, um, I was on my own um, handling the, the digital products that, that were under my wing, um, and I had been working solo, I think for almost a year. So, so yeah, I was looking for, for an intern back then. I believe it was the, the time availability that you had and versus what we needed that wasn't matching. But believe me, I, you made a, a huge impression. So I'm not surprised at all to see that you're starting your company, having your podcast and all that, because I did get that from you that you were definitely going. I mean, you had already been places, so... Um, it's really nice that we are getting to, to interact again. Absolutely. Yeah. I still wonder what would have happened if I just had sort of quit code and, uh, just started working at Infarm, <laughs> because I think the time that you made, like, we're going to touch on this, uh, in a second, but like time you, you were in farm, you're not anymore in farm. No, I, I left very recently about a month ago. Yeah. So when I. When I wanted to find someone in the indoor farming space, you were the first person that came to mind and I was quite surprised to see you not being at Infarm anymore, but I think it's maybe a good, uh, a good reason or like a, it's good for the podcast now that we can uh, talk about it. And it's super cool that you, that you said yes. Yes, 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 absolutely. Cool. Let's do an icebreaker first. It's the first time that we do this icebreaker here. So okay. let's see how it goes. 
The first question is, what did you want to be when you grew up? Um, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a veterinarian. And I was determined for many, many years to become one, uh, which I clearly am not. How, how come uh, you changed? I don't really know because I do love animals. As a matter of fact, I have six pets here in Berlin. Um, and um, I sometimes even try to trace back at what made me change my mind because I do think it's a, it's a very interesting career path. But I guess it's because when you have to choose your career, I mean, I was 16 or 17 when I had to pick what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And yeah, the 16 year old me is very different from the current one or, you know, it's a, it's a very tricky age. So something went from my mind that I just decided not to go that way. I mean, a lot of people have uh, like the firefighter or something and not everyone turns a firefighter. So I think that's completely normal. <laughs> Um, okay, the second question is related to that, and that is how you got into product management. Um, I got into product management through project management, and because I, I have a major in accounting and finance, which is probably one not very typical um, um, major for product managers, but because I didn't like it and I started to find ways out, I started working in finance slash IT related projects. Um, because I just realized that I have an ease and a taste for software and technology and, and project management. And actually, when I joined Infarm, I was hired as, a, as an IT project manager. Uh, it just turned out that Infarm was at such a, a young stage that it was hard to foresee. Uh, it wasn't clear what their needs were. And when I was already hired, uh, it came apparent that rather than just manage a project, I would have to be building a digital product for the company. And it was more or less a need. Also, um, I moved to Germany because of this job, I guess, in from having made me move from my country. And then uh, soon after arriving, realizing that the whole story was going to look completely different from what they expected. And I expected, I guess I didn't have much choice, but to give me the opportunity <laughs> because, you know, I had already left everything. Um, and uh, I had relocated with all my six pets. So, you know, we had, we had to give it a go. And I'm, I'm very happy that that happened. Where did you relocate originally from? Mexico, my home country. So was this your first job then, like your first product management experience at Infon? This was my first uh, product management, official product management, because I then uh, started to find the parallels between uh, previous projects that I had had before, where I also had to try to come up for solutions uh, to problems that, you know, my stakeholders had and I had to involve a development team and sort of like come up with the design of something. I just didn't know back then that, you know, like that was a, a whole career to just design solutions uh, or digital solutions um, to, to problems. So that was a small part of what I was doing, but I wasn't definitely aware of all the things that come along with it and the best practices and how it looks like in, in real life uh, when you do it full time. So, yeah. Do you mind if I write your, uh, read your LinkedIn description of Inform that you put there? Okay. I built the software infrastructure that took the startup from a single warehouse with no software to a global corporation in 13 countries in less than three years. Using a mix of off-the-rack and custom-built software, I implemented the processes and tools to power production, operation, SCM and sales, including a CRM and EDI, food and health software and mobile apps for internal users. Leading a team of offshore developers, consultants and in-house PMs, I helped inform become the world's largest vertical farming company with a growth of over 1000% during my tenancy. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of words. I actually have fixed that uh, to know that we're actually in 10 countries and not in 13, um, just to, you said it, that doesn't come and, and bite me uh, from someone who might wanna uh, correct that. But, um, but yeah, so, uh, Inform was super small when I when I came. There was only one very hectic production facility here in in Berlin in Tempelhof, 
um, and they were running it with whiteboards and paper and spreadsheets. And that this was the summer um, of that year. And by the end of that same year, they wanted to be already in um, two more locations in Germany and at least one other country. So to, to go from one location to four in six months when you don't have a software to enter what your customers ordered is ambitious to say the least. And I also need to uh, bring, bring up the fact that Infarm was the first startup I ever worked in. I, I wasn't used to, to this kind of, of requests. I, I was like, um, so what do we have? Like a year to implement the new software? And they were more like, mm, more like a month. <laughs> and um, and yeah, so Infarm is currently operating um, in three continents. And I was part of the first hundred employees. Infarm has already over a thousand by now. And we probably were servicing, I don't know, maybe 10 to 15 stores and now they're like hundreds of them like I, I've lost count I don't know if saying a thousand is a lot but like the growth was really has been exponentially like insane yeah like when they were envisioning you know being like really the world's largest uh vertical farming company and we were just a bunch of hippies uh, working in a in a you know office with like uh, one toilet for everyone and we had to climb five uh, stories of stairs to get to our cramped but very, very cool office in Kreuzberg which we no longer have or the company no longer uh, works there but it seemed like um, how how is that going to happen but it did it is happening so so yeah I remember that I visited the Kreuzberg office um, when I interviewed it was really like a yeah. cozy place like old, yeah. old building. It was amazing. And we had a we had a, a showroom in the in the ground floor because because there were so so few of us, we actually had an in-house chef. So three times a week there would be like a, a homemade menu for us and tasty, amazing vegan food. Uh, for us, of course, that's not scalable, right? When you want to have a, a thousand employees, you would have to be running a restaurant almost or a catering business for that. But those were the days. Yeah. Could you speak more about like the team structure, how, how you communicated, um, where, where did like the decisions come from? Yeah, um, I, I think I, I want to point out that when I joined the company, it was at a very early stage. Um, that it's not necessarily the case for every startup, depending on where, where they are. But where we were at the moment was really very chaotic. Um, I originally joined the finance department. You may be surprised to hear um, when I was assigned with, you know, just um, helping them with software projects that would help the finance team. Because as I said, um, I'm originally an accountant. Um, then the company just kept changing and growing and decisions were made every day. Um, so then I was eventually moved into the um, R&D department, which stands for research and development. And I was then working in the process design team when I first started uh, doing the, the whole coming up with a digital solution for the company or a set of digital solutions. And uh, I, I think I had been in the company for about six months when they finally moved me into the product team. Um, so those were three completely different teams in six months. And it, it, it really hit me that it was gonna be a very crazy ride because I had already had three different managers into completely different teams. But from day one, I was, um, working in every possible location because the thing about Infarm is that they build the hardware or they right now they only design it and engineer it but back then they were actually making it themselves the hardware where the food grows which is sort of like a huge refrigerator 
um, but it's not cold. It's just, they try to regulate the temperature so that food grows comfortably. And so they had this production facility where they were building these hardware. Um, and they also had the production facility where they were growing the food, which is a separate one, the one in Tempelhof. Um, and they also had the um, headquarter offices in Kreuzberg. So I was actually going to all these three places every week. And I was personally meeting the people in, in, the, in the factory of the farm. So I was dealing there with production, with engineering, with purchasing. Um, and then I would go to the food production facility where there's a different type of production. And I would deal also with the people there, with the, with the people dispatching the food, with the production, food production manager. Um, and then I was going to the headquarters to deal with the people in sales, we're talking to the customers, we talk with the people in finance, who were writing invoices for this product. And I needed to make sure that everyone that I was talking to, that whatever it is that I was going to produce that would service everyone to, to the best of our possibilities. I was just, uh, I mean, it was a very privileged position to be in because I got to see like the 360 view of the company since the moment that we order the seats until the customer pays for it everyone that goes in between, all of the pain points that were um, for everyone in there. And although I was a part of the, of the product team, I had really the independence to, to just make the decisions that were needed without having to ask someone, um, listen, I think we need to do that. Would you agree? Or may I? It was just a matter of like, girl, don't ask. If it's needed, start, get it done. Um, if it doesn't work, then let's find out sooner than later and just like, don't waste time getting confirmation, just make decisions, try things out and keep in touch with everyone and make sure that we are, we are putting off the most important fires first. Could you, could you go through the process of, as you said, like from the, from buying the seed to the end customer buying the plant? if you can share that information of course i mean probably the supply chain is nothing um out of the ordinary so you have a, a team that is uh, buying the supplies that are needed to produce the food and then there is a a, a team that is in charge of, of making sure that these seeds are are grown into what's called a seedling or like a, a baby plant you can say um, because the, what you put in these in these farms, you don't plant the seed in the farm. You you bring in um, a, a a plant kid, so to speak, like a very young plant. You, and um, so they are they are um, switched from what is called the nursery to like the farm, which is what what you can find in in the supermarkets. Um, if, if you're familiar with the in farm uh, product in the supermarket, and there there is usually a a six week period of time before putting in the seed and being able to harvest a, a fully grown herb that's ready to be purchased. Uh, but the interesting thing is that um, there are two ways that Infarm is um, supplying food to the retailers. So one is you've probably been to a supermarket where there is an Infarm um, farm producing herbs in the supermarket, which is amazing because you can go and buy the lettuce that was harvested today. It doesn't come from thousands of miles away. Uh, they're not using any, any pesticides. So it's like as fresh as it can get. But then the, the thing is that usually the supermarkets have limited space. So the majority of them can't have such a big production site in the supermarket that they can fulfill all of the demand. So on top of the product that they that grows in the supermarket, there's also product that's shipped from the Berlin production facility, which has a way bigger version of, of those farms. So so the 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 the, the, the in-farm herbs can come from either place. And that's something that in the digital product uh, design was very important, right? Because I have to service 
one business line, which is what grows in the supermarket, and the other business line, which is what's coming out of the production facility. And in the production facility, you have people that are delivering the, the orders, whereas in the supermarket, you need someone to take care of the maintenance and harvest these plants because these, these farms are maintained by in-farm employees, not by the supermarket themselves, which is why they call this farming as a service. You just tell us what you want to harvest, we'll take care of it, and it will grow in, in, in your store. Um, so taking care of the farming as a service and taking care of the traditional production model. And then the customer will pay for the the amount of plants that were successfully harvested because this is agriculture, right? So you may plant a hundred plants, but maybe you only harvest 90. Um, so that was always like our, our promises. You'll only pay for that with that product, which was successful. And then, yeah, you have the, the, the supermarkets to, to pay for it, but there's not just supermarkets. There are also some restaurants, chefs who want to have, who want to have like the freshest, produce or product that doesn't normally grow year long because the in-farm can grow the same product all year long. And uh, there's also like even some companies that have a canteen and they are like, they want to have their own lettuce uh, salad bar. So we're producing lettuces in their canteens. So, and everyone has a different need, you know, a supermarket might want to say, you know, I have 500 stores across the country and I just want you to give me one invoice for all those 500 stores whereas you have other companies that might say you know I want to see in my in an individual invoice for every individual store and this is relevant for the digital product because I was building the products that would help us run the business so Inform is also developing software because these farms are cloud connected and there's a different product team for that I was part of the internal team that is trying to make the the business work with, with within our, our time constraints and within the specifics of the industry. And being back then such a small and young company, like if a customer wanted something, like we would just have to find a way to make it happen because we couldn't afford to lose a customer over, oh, sorry, we're not able to invoice you on a monthly basis or oh, we're not able to uh, uh, provide what what your company needs so we have to be make sure that our our solutions were flexible enough that if tomorrow comes someone who wants to pay for a year of product in advance which happened at some point that we would be able to also satisfy that with the solutions that we were developing so there were many touch points along the way from making sure also that the the warehousing like everyone could see what do we have in stock and what don't we have in stock, that we had a reliable source of which customer wants what, when, you know, it's fresh food, it's retail. So it's not unlike, I don't know if a company is building planes, I don't know how many planes they can build in a year, but we are in the, in the fresh food business or inform is in the fresh food business. So it's like, you know, they have to service customers sometimes seven days a week. So back then when we didn't have a software for that, you actually had people like every single day writing in a spreadsheet what every supermarket needs, which led to mistakes and confusion. Who changed the spreadsheet? I didn't put that number in and, and, and things like that. So we, we had to take everyone's needs into consideration. And when the company is so young and no one has the tools, you know, everyone is like fighting to get their solution first. And like I said, back then it was only me for all of these divisions for sales, for, for purchasing, for production, for finance. So those were very crazy times indeed. This is crazy. <laughs> so like... There's so many different moving parts, right? Like there are the people who grow the things yep. on the location. There are the people who manage the farms on in the stores. Then you need to know what the store wants, how many of that, all the finance things. Um, and then yep. like the other cloud, like the, the farms work in itself. That's another piece, I guess, right? And this is this is crazy that like you were the only person in the beginning to like 
bring everything together? Um, yeah, it was. Um, like I said, because there are some software solutions that are uh, the, the ERP system. So many of you may not be familiar with what an ERP system is. But without going into detail, they are super complex softwares that are used for, for companies that need to integrate everything, right? I need my sales to be able to talk to to finance and that if someone buy something, the people in production will know when it's coming and everyone is using the same database and the same program, regardless if it's like production or if it's sales or if, or if it's accounting. But those softwares are very, first of all, they're very expensive. Second of all, it takes a, in an average of a year to get them up and running. And third, they are, as a rule, very rigid. So you have to make your decisions. How is it that you want to run your business? Because that's how we're going to set the software. And you cannot really move away from what, from what you decide back then. So when they originally brought me in, that was the idea. Let's just get one of these software that looks for, uh, for everyone because actually we need solutions for everyone. But that's, as I said, once I was in and I realized like we don't have a year and we actually need something faster, that whole ready-made integrated software was discarded. So we had to go with something that would allow us to be flexible and fast. And we also didn't have like the budget to go for a super huge solution back then. So I guess I didn't know what I was getting into and uh, it was very scary, I won't lie at first, but it was a lot of fun in the end. And it worked. What, whatever we, we did, uh, I mean, I, I guess the growth of the company speaks for itself. What were some, some challenges, like specific challenges that you, that you solved with a software that you created? Yeah. So as, as an overview, uh, we went for a, an inventory management system or an order management system that is already fully made, like you, you pay a license and you can use it and it's web-based. But we decided that what we, it was important for us that this system was flexible enough that we could customize some things and that we could integrate it with applications that we built ourselves. So we went for that. We went for a very simple warehouse management system for all of our, our food production facilities. And then we built applications that would complement whatever these management order management system didn't have that we needed. Another thing that we purchased that was ready-made was a customer management system, what is known as a CRM. And we were buying all the products of the same software company so they would be easier to integrate. I think those were the two major things that we purchased. And then, like I said, one of the challenges, and this is probably the favorite, my favorite product that I built, which was also the first one that I built, was a mobile application for what, what we call the field grower. So a grower is a person who takes care of an in-farm farm. And as I said, because we have the product growing in the supermarket, someone has to go and service those farms. So when I joined, there, there was a time where these guys were using a paper to write down, you know, today I went to this store and in, in their farm, we harvested this many herbs. Then on top of that, I brought some extra product that they ordered from our production facility. So that makes a total of 100. And customer, please sign here that you did receive 800 herbs from us. And then they would take a picture of that piece of paper and mail it to the accounting team. So someone would open all these pictures and then just empty that in a spreadsheet so that we could make an invoice, know how much we sold. And I uh, was like massively, you know, unscalable, waste of time. And my good friend, Georg, who was typing in, like no wonder was, was dying to get out of that job because um, I mean, who wouldn't, right? As I said, I joined in summer. We started with our inventory management system in October. So in my first three months, I had to already implement something. And when we were already in the last quarter of the year, I promised the head of finance next year, you won't be doing these invoices by hand, typing in Excel. And that gave me three months 
to to come up with with our initial solution how many how many stores did they have like with how many stores did you um like take a photo of the invoice oh god i mean the thing is that with with hyper growth um startups you can't have 10 stores one month and then 50 the next one and then 100 on the next one and then 130 on the next one so it just kept growing and growing may i add that we also launched in frankfurt and hanover before the end of the year which only made like you know the number of of customers just grow incessantly at some point we just started stopped tracking them it was just you know, the business was doubling, tripling every month. We were sure, like, if right now this guy is doing, like, 30 invoices next next year, they're going to be doing, like, hundreds or thousands of them. So it was really something that we needed to do and we needed to do fast. So what, what we did uh, to tackle that need was work with low-code application platforms, which are a faster and simpler way to build applications. It has limitations, absolutely. It's not something that you can use for every uh, one of your needs, but we didn't have time. And I searched for freelance developer that could help me, who was available on the short notice to start working day and night to build something really fast and be able to like test it and have it ready by January 1st next year. And what we built was this mobile application so that the guys that are in the field, they can, I mean, today they like scan a QR code and then they just uh, pull the data from what was harvested in the farm and the customer signs on their mobile phone. And as soon as they click submit, bloom, the invoice is, is created and it sends them an, uh, the customer via email and it gets recorded in our invoicing system of course the first version we built did not have a lot of nice things no qr codes and it was very manual but at least it was already a digital solution where they could enter whatever products we sold and gather a digital signature and it already created a, a draft of an invoice so no one would have to be uh, emptying that information anywhere and um we did manage to to have it ready so uh, at the beginning of the next year these taking photos so there was there was like an excel sheet uh, in between the paper and the mobile application that i built which had also a lot of limitations and sometimes customers couldn't open it and it was was very very basic didn't let you like wasn't dynamic if someone didn't add a product you couldn't add it yourself like let's say tomorrow they start selling, um, I don't know, uh, spinach, and that was not in the list. Like they couldn't add it and things like that. Um, yeah, our first, our first version of the delivery app came live uh, six months after after I joined the company, and that was made by myself and one individual developer, which is crazy. Um, it's been through a lot of changes. Um, it's already been like made over from scratch. Uh, two more times so the current version uh, which is a lot more stable and now like you can make an invoice in Japanese and things like that like the first version of course couldn't do any of that but it allowed us to scale like for sure the the, the person um, in, in the accounting team no longer has to be copying the data from a photo into a spreadsheet and we were able to to give these application to every time we we launched in a new city uh, or a new country, they they already started working with this mobile app. So that, uh, yeah, that allowed us to, you know, keep moving and not stop because we don't have a way to run our business. Um, I think that that's probably one of my, not probably, that was definitely my my favorite product that I built. I built for them. That's so cool. I mean, I love, I love no-code solutions. Uh... Like I built one in Encoda.io. Um, it's like a, yeah, it's a no-code doc actually that just mimics a, an Excel sheet and turns into an app if you use it on the phone. And I sort of made a task tracker and like an, an a payment tracker and like a, it, it's 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 like an all-in-one thing. 
so I have some some experience with it, but f like for me, it's always like I, I I think I know what the solution is. I build it, and I was like, ah, actually, it's not that nice. It's you know, it, it takes ages to load. It's like it doesn't look nice. It's not like you can't change to your X. It's just like the design you're getting and stuff. So that is definitely one limitation we also run into, like the UX, for example. Um, you can't really change the UX to to your taste. Uh, it's what they they provide you with and yeah you can change the color or the layout but you can't really make your own um ux design so one of the of the things that i i think is worth mentioning is that many of the products that we undertook were meant to be temporary solutions um because when you're a startup and you don't still know is this the direction that we're going to stay with um, is this the business model that we're going, that's going to stick or not? We made a lot of things that in the end we have to discard, or we would build some things that were not robust enough while our dedicated software engineering team were building something that was more, yeah, more robust and more integrated into the more formal software suite of applications. In, in the food industry, in the fresh food industry, there are certain regulations and there are compliance matters that sometimes need you to act fast um, because you can't run a location without the permissions or without uh, special certifications. So sometimes we, we face the situation where we need a solution and we need it next month because we're being, uh, we're opening a new location and we need to apply for whatever um, regulation or compliance process. And our engineering team definitely doesn't have the bandwidth to deal with that now. So we would build something in our local app just to act as an interim solution, which was really a great idea. And I think this is 100% the, the mastermind of, of one of our founders, our uh, well, the Infarm's chief technology officer who's one of, of the co-founders of Infarm, is very much open to, you know, you, we don't necessarily have to do the fanciest, most official thing. Like, let's think, how can we solve it, like, now for it to work with what we have in a way that's still going to help us grow and really actually test that this is a solution that we need before we commit more resources into making it a permanent part of the software infrastructure. So that experimenting approach is something that I 100% learned uh, in farm because I was working with more traditional companies before who would probably never have considered an alternative approach to the waterfall projects to you know, having your own software developers build something like very sturdy that's gonna last forever or buying the most sophisticated software in the world from day one. And this is something that I definitely cherish. Like I'm, I'm very lucky that I was exposed to, to this mindset of, you know, let's just, let's play it out and see how, how it goes. And it went well. Uh, so what, what kind of tools did you use uh, specifically? And um, did you have a framework on deciding what to build or like, I mean, there's usually there's like, if you follow the normal product management guide, then you probably do some user interviews. You like do some sketches, maybe you find if the flow works. There's a lot of like back and forth between the user who like talks about the problem and the guy or the person who builds the, the, the product, right? How, I mean, you, you were super fast and fast in building these things. Did you have a framework building it or how did you go about it? Probably because during the first month, there was not so much formality in our processes. I may have skipped some, some steps, which sometimes uh, bit me in the ass and sometimes just well, worked. So at the very beginning, it was just very much like putting off fire. So like when I first made this delivery app, I didn't actually do enough interviews. I talked to maybe two thirds of the players involved. In terms of numbers or stakeholders? Stakeholders. So I, I, I didn't really talk to everyone or even cared to look in the knowledge base if someone had already documented these needs because of the 
time pressure to launch like before the new fiscal year. I talked basically to the people on the field and uh, to the people in finance, but I, I didn't really talk to anyone, anyone else. So we, I just, I talked them to the developer of, this is what I envision. And I was, and I'm, I'm not kidding. I was using paint for my, yeah, for my sketches. So yeah, but I was using literally like paint and and word like i want this this screen with a button in here that does that and then it's gonna push i did a, i did use like i didn't do a normal workflow but like for my uh, for wireframes thank you for my wireframes i was using <laughs> paint and this 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 software developer uh just built it as i said and it worked as in it allowed the delivery person to enter what they had delivered uh, to select a customer from the list, to select the products that they were delivering, and by submitting, that would write an invoice. That did work. But I didn't gather every information requirement. Like I didn't know like that the customers needed to look at the barcode number of the product that they were buying to be able to enter that into their system. I didn't consider the fact that some customers needed monthly invoices and some others wanted daily invoices and things like that. I just learned after, you know, we went live and some customers sort of like complained like, hey, we, we're missing the barcode number and oh, sorry. So I would add it later. Um, like the first first months, they were very much like that until, of course, the company started growing and maturing. And now there actually is a full process where we dedicate, like, first of all, we, we do proper planning. There's like goal setting what what are we what, what are we trying to achieve and and i say we because i really still feel like a part of that family even though i'm no longer working there uh, i think we're always going to be very close and um yeah so there's, there's going to be these like goal setting and okay so as a team so if the company is trying to achieve these which is like probably we've already discussed the okrs before um so if we have these okrs as a company, we're going to be our OKRs as a team. And then if these are my OKRs, what I'm going to, and these are our priorities, what am I going to be working on? So I know already that I have to dedicate enough time to do discovery, to do user interviews. We, we even encourage uh, people to go on the field. So I myself have been working on the production floor at least a couple of days where I'm like, you know, just harvesting farms, cleaning farms putting customer orders together or we do a field trip or we do the go with the, the specialist to do the delivery. So I went to Brandenburg a few times to service some supermarkets and uh, or working in the nursery, just like planting seed, um, seeding seeds and things like that. So there's like the, this whole discovery approach, which is very important, definitely. And then there's then comes like the phase where you may do maybe a low quality prototype just to get some early input from your stakeholders before you commit to a design and before you write a specification. Like nowadays, there is actually like more or less a template for your specifications with everything that has to be included, all the data that goes in, a process flow. We didn't have all this structure in the early years, but of course you, you have to work on developing that. And that has, that's part of, of, the, of the work that the head of the department takes on, right? To make sure that, okay, the product managers are delivering like crazy, but we are also learning to improve the way we work as product managers. And then comes, of course, like a pilot phase where we will roll out our solution with a, a limited number of people, with a limited number of teams, just to gather some feedback, see what worked, what didn't work, is it really scalable? Maybe do some adjustments here and there because we realized something wasn't really working well before we actually release it to the whole organization. And now that Infarm operates, like I said, in three continents, communication becomes more and more challenging because you have to make sure that everyone in every country knows that these changes are coming up. So we, we there's like all sorts of approaches to trying to tackle that. There's like a monthly newsletter where Every user can see what's new in my app. Oh, now I, you have the option to save a draft or like now you can raise a ticket from this button here. We have like this internal chats where everyone who's using my products can just like ask their peers, hey, anyone knows how I can submit this to whatever person? And they will come and say, well, we do it like this in France. And someone will say, well, in Denmark, we do it like that. 
um, especially because now with, the, with when the pandemic hit and a lot of us went to work from home, we started um, working more on how to keep the communication flowing now that we're not seeing each other in, um, in the company. So nowadays, uh, Inform is, is using like two, two week uh, sprints to, to work on whatever it is that, that has been planned, trying to, to bring as much value as possible within every quarter towards the, the company goals. And now there's like a set of deliverables and like steps that you don't want to skip but we we didn't have much of that on the early years so yeah it's it's very different it's very different product management more mature organization and i can even imagine that bigger companies like think about microsoft or someone like that i can imagine how how much stricter their their frameworks must be compared to like a scale up like in farm or the way in farm was three years ago when it was just starting um to grow. So you also said that you had like access to a software team and outsourced software team. Um, did you like in the, the scaling up phase or the, the change from, from like your very early day to the end, towards the end, did you use more, I mean, you said it already, sort of, how did you decide what to build as still as a low code or no code solution? And how did you uh, decide, well, when did you decide, hey, let's, let's make it uh, a real software at what scale, you know, like? Yeah, that's a very good question. It actually, the decision of whether we keep it on the on the low code or outsourced part of the software, do we bring it into the internal part of the software, has to do with um, in farm as should every other company do, wants to focus on their core product, right? In farm is not a company specializing in writing invoices. Creating software for invoicing is definitely not their core product. So I, I don't see that they are ever going to take that into their own development team. Whereas the production of fresh food with their own engineered hardware is their core product. So anything that falls into this is our core business is going to be taken over by the, the Infarm's own software team. And I think there you don't necessarily can, it's not, not, not everything is like black or white, like invoicing, for example, is pretty clear. Infarm is not going to focus on building software for invoicing. But still, you have to make sure that the product that you are building speaks to your invoicing solution because you have to monetize what you sell, what you produce, how much is it costing me, and am I invoicing everything that I am delivering, right? And But there's like, the, for example, the, the, the industry-specific regulations, like you have to be able to track fresh products back to, your, to the seed, right? So this could be a gray area. Do I want to embed this into my software for producing food? Or do I want to look at solutions that already exist for that and integrate them because if I integrate them, then I need to make build my own software considering other software's way of working. And maybe I don't want to compromise. So maybe I'll take that on me and build my own tracking or food tracking uh, system into my software. Or maybe I decide that I'm just going to outsource that. Um, but everything that is like purely related to the how we're going to produce the, the best food it's definitely something that um if it's if it's built if it's outsourced at first it will definitely be taken over later um and if it's something that's definitely not part of the core business then it'll just stay outsourced um forever yeah so how is it i'm really curious how it's structured now um or like at the end of your when when you left how are product like what kind of different product teams are there now and i mean there's different com there's different countries different continents yeah like how uh, what are the different product teams and how do they communicate how they how do they align each other yeah well the although uh, inform operates in different continents the the product uh, management uh, teams are all under the berlin research and development uh, team right Although not everyone is in Berlin because it's a fully remote organization, like the whole technology division. But what I mean is that 
there's not a product team in Japan and a product team in the States. It's just like product teams are, are working globally. And there's basically, so the team that I was working in is called the, the business software team. Because as I said, we're focusing on providing solutions to the business users and for the business needs. And by business, I'm talking about sales, finance, supply chain. And then there are the other product teams that are looking into the the software that runs the the farms is one of them, and then there is um, another another team that's dealing with how to to help the teams work in terms of when if if I need to produce this many lettuces, then this means that I need to seed what and when. So that's telling every team along the production of the food what needs to be done. And then there's another team that's dealing with like monitoring of the farms because this uh, in farm farms are are controlled globally. They are like cloud connected, so having the right you know being monitoring what matters and alerting whoever needs to be alerted if something broke or it's not looking great. And I mean. Um, it keeps changing constantly so also maybe by the time i'm saying this this has completely changed right sure but as as you, as i said so as as the business evaluates new needs or or sees the new trends they will just like you know bend around and and make sure it works like that but basically right now it's like one business software team and several that that revolve around the, the, the yeah the production of hydroponics and the proper functioning of the hardware um, that's that's what you could summarize it and of course they uh, all product teams try to work as closely to one another as is possible so there are like some monthly gatherings where everyone shares what they're working on or sometimes they'll just like talk about you know met methodologies that they are using or how they are going about defining their own goals just to see like some knowledge sharing and the, the the whole processes or like deliverables are agreed upon as the product team and know that every product team is working their own ways. The whole um, research and development team is working in these two week sprints, or at least that's where the idea is, so that software developers and product managers and hardware developers as well, that everyone is more or less going with the same project timeframes or, right? So, it's tricky as uh, the, the bigger it gets. Like when, when I just started, we, there were only two product managers. I was handling the business software and the other PM was handling everything related to like the farms and the food production. And it wasn't easy when it's two, two persons, right? But um, now there's even like a crops product manager and there's also like the farms product manager and with like the, all that structure wasn't there few years back so it definitely becomes more critical to have someone looking at the strategy part of it and not just about the day-to-day -day work of a pm and that's where, where the, the senior team like senior management team needs to to really pull like the strings and keep everyone working towards the same objectives how was the the connection to the founders um throughout the last three years so when you started to what it is now I know that Infarm started seven years ago, so it's like like they've been working on it. That's what I know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they worked for quite some time developing this farm that produces food in the in the supermarket, and only like then they received like this huge amount of money to actually scale it up. Yeah. So like, how did the, this relationship change, like the, the the top management to the rest of the organization? I mean, not much in the sense that it's still the same three co-founders that are uh, leading the, the company. What's definitely changed is that before, you know, you used to see them every day sitting next to you in the office and we would have lunch, every, all of us together. And right now, I mean, if you are an employee in Tokyo, you've most likely never, ever seen any of them. But they're as involved as ever. And I can say, at least from the 
the research and development team or, or division, because it's actually a very big division. I'm happy to say that the, the founder is as grounded as he was from day one, as approachable, as humble, and as innovative and yeah, real as he was when, you know, when I first joined and there were a few of us. Of course, I, I had the, 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 the fortune of, of working with him like in the same office day to day years back. Right now being remote, well, probably new joiners are not are going to miss on that. But he's definitely very much the one guiding, leading, the, the, that's the right word to use. Like he's really a, a true leader to, to his organization and, uh, and keeping, yeah, p- pulling the ropes, definitely. So, I mean, of course, there's like a lot of new positions right now. The hardware division in itself will have its own subdivisions and the product division will have its own sub-product teams and everything like we didn't have before but if we are strictly talking about the like the really upper management that that hasn't changed much absolutely so that's that's cool because it it really does keep being the same company and the spirit is the same and the vision um, is only evolving but it's not like oh yeah they sold it to someone else who wants to do things completely different or like oh yeah the founder like just walked away and now someone else took over like nothing like that has happened which I think is definitely also a part why the the performance of Infirm has been so steady. I think we're slowly coming to an end um, are there any things that we should take time now to, to talk about more in detail? Um, well, probably just, just because I know that the, the main audience of this podcast um, are students uh, that want to go into product management. I, would, I just do want to bring out the fact that there is more to product management than working on the apps that we use every day, because most people will think of when I use Google or if I use WhatsApp or if I use Instagram, oh, there's a product manager behind that. And yes, there is a product manager or several actually behind that. But that there is also this important, at, at least I, I really love it. I like being an internal PM. So my users are the employees of the company and rather than the customers of the company. Although I may also work on projects that involve or will touch with the customers among my my goal is to keep the employees of the company happy Um, and that is to me a really big joy because you get get to understand the business very well like i'm not just looking at some feature in some digital product i'm actually talking to everyone from sales to marketing to production in japan or in the states or in canada so that I've made a lot of friends at Infarm in all the countries that we worked in. And uh, the work that you do is as equally important because, you know, a company is nothing but the people who work uh, in it. And if you can help them make their work better, faster, easier, then then you have a company that, that's, you know, running like a well-oiled clock. And it's probably not as glamorous as saying like, oh yeah, I'm the one behind like Slack or like whatever everyone uses, but it's no less fun. It's no less challenging. And it's probably also a little less stressing because if I screw up, I mean, yes, some people are going to scream, but in the end, they're like my colleagues and my friends. And they're gonna cut me some slack. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not making the company like lose millions or like oh now everyone is left without communication because you know there was a bug in, in my app or something. So this is another interesting part of product management that that I hope more companies are gonna take uh, more seriously. It's not just about well this is the software that you have. This is how it works. And if your life is miserable, then I'm sorry, this is your job. But actually it's nice, you know, that, that companies like Infarm are like caring to like, hey, how can we make everyone's lives better and help them do their work better? There's also product management going on in there. Definitely. One question that comes up when you bring up the topic is how do you measure success? Because like in the end you see like people, you know, either people get the product or they don't in a B2C case. 
But in your case, it's your employee, so they don't really have a choice. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's a very good question. Well, you also measure your success when you when you decide to work on something. It's because you have a problem to solve, right? So to go back to these um, application that we build for the delivery person that would also generate invoices. So first of all, um, I on the very first releases, I looked at. So usually you have to make the invoices for the month within the month. So whatever I sold in June, I have to send out all of the invoices in June or maybe take the first few days of July to send back dated invoices, right? So I would look at this date. When did you finish sending out the invoices of the month of June? And they would say, and I'm not joking, it would take them at the first, like, I don't know, 15 days, and they were still sending the invoices from past uh, the last month. Okay, so we're going to implement this. And the next month, well, now it only took me 10 days. Why? Well, because we found a lot of errors and duplicates and things like that. Okay, and then, then that starts being like your new goal. Okay, so we should, how many duplicates did you have? Like, how many invoices had errors? Like, 10% of the invoices had errors. Oh, that's too high a number. So next month, um, how many invoices uh, had errors? And you try and lower that number. And when were you able to finish sending all the invoices on the second day of the month? Okay, great. Well, now we'll just go for the first day of the month. And now let's aim for like on the last day of the month, everything was sent. But that, that, that still had not happened <laughs> when I left a month ago. <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, but that, that's, that's yeah, you start looking at your own metrics, how many bugs there were reported and things like that. Um, you can even, even say, like, how long does it take a delivery person to finish, like, using their app every time they make a delivery? Sometimes the screen takes too much to load or they have to select a lot of buttons or, like, they get asked a lot of questions. So it takes them five minutes per delivery and then you think, oh, we make thousands of deliveries. So how much time slash money is that costing us? So let's, how can we make it faster or more intuitive or make that it, you know, skip some things or redesign the user interface so that they can use the fingerprint instead of typing a password, things like that. So you also have to start looking at your own criteria to measure the success of your apps. As you said, they don't have a choice. So you have to use my application. Uh, so that's definitely not not like com the conversion rates and such things are not are not really what what we're after. From what I heard, you 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 have the problem. Put some useful metric to it that sort of describes the problem, and then you try to fix that. And either you fix it or you find some other problem. Put another metric, something like that. Yeah, since since the, since the time that you decide to work on it, it's because there's probably already a number there that's scary. Either it's taking them hours to do something or it's costing them a lot of money to finish a process. So whatever raised the need to create a product in the first time, you'll definitely find your metric in there. Um, and if you don't have a clear metric, then it, it's probably not a, a problem that you should be focusing on um if you don't have the data to support it so i have some wrap-up questions okay one would be do you have any favorite book recommendations in terms of product management books or resources i i actually more than product management one of my favorite books that definitely shaped the way i worked and navigated my whole infirm experience is startup nation um, and it has a lot to do with the fact that the founders of Infarm are Israeli, and this book talks about how Israel can be compared to a startup uh, in itself as a country, and what has pushed them to be as innovative and out-of-the-box thinkers as they are. That helped me break the barriers of I'm used to working this way or most companies do these. Why are these guys doing something else? That was definitely one book that gave me a lot of ideas and took some of my concepts away from my head so that I had a broader vision of how to tackle problems and build products and how to be fearless about trying new things. I loved that book and I would, although it's not necessarily product management, there's a lot of it that product managers can learn 
Do you have any place on the internet where people can find you? Anyone can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, okay, this is the last question. Just anything that you want to get off your off your chest, say directly to our audience, to our students. Well, I would just um, encourage everyone to to keep a a good balance in between uh, making things happen and letting things happen. I wasn't looking for a product development role. It more or less found me and I loved it. And once it came to me, I started working on, you know, making it a, a successful, happy, fun journey because success means something different for it's very unique uh, for everyone. To, to me, it means that I'm, I'm having fun and I'm, I'm achieving what, what I set to myself. But also just like letting life surprise you is, is good. And um, especially if you're pursuing a career in product management, you have to be ready to, to ride a roller coaster and, you know, we just em embrace, embrace change and probably try and, and develop the skills that make you more adaptable to unforeseen situations. Uh, that's probably something that we don't learn in school and no one tells us about that, you know, you never know what you're up to when you start a new challenge. Yeah, I think just like keeping keeping the, the boat balance in between, let it happen and make it happen would be something that I would want to share. I wish someone had told me that when I was studying accounting and I never ever expected I would be here uh, in Berlin talking about my product management experience with you. What beautiful words to end this uh, episode. Thank you so much, Lorena. No, thanks to you. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, wow. Unfortunately, another exciting episode comes to an end. We talked about the early days of Infarm, what it was like to be among the first product managers of a fast-scaling hardware startup, the need to iterate and build quickly, the power and limitations of no-code tools, and what it was like to build products for the internal use of a company. If you want to find the book that Lorena recommended or some quotes that I picked from this episode, you can do so on our show notes that you can find on our website, productpioneerspodcast.com. Again, thanks everyone who helped to contribute to this episode. Thank you, Thais, for editing. Thank you, Lorena, for sharing all your insights. It was a pleasure and it was good to connect again. And thank you, Code, for providing the space. I hope to see you in the next episode, which we will release in two weeks. You don't want to miss it. Until then, have a good one. Bye-bye.